Welcome to season four of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Hey, Joel. Howdy. How are you doing? I'm vertical. How are you? <laughs> You're. I see you sitting down, though. I'm sitting, but it's like at least vertical. <laughs> nice. Um, nice to be back with you. Ooh, Dr. Pepper. I love a Dr. Pepper every now and again. With cream soda. So Oof, that's it, nice. It is way up there. My son has found the newest one, Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream. And I will say that is over the line. That is, that is too much. Please, Dr. Pepper. Back off a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have lots to say about Dr. Pepper and various flavors of sodas, but I don't think that's what we're going to talk, talk about. I mean, it could be, but... <laughs> it's similar. It resonates. It could. Uh, there could be some overlap there. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, there's always something. So, uh, yeah, we had a really nice conversation uh, last week about kind of our roles as clergy and expectations. And I I think we're going to talk about some things that everyone has experienced, if not can certainly relate to today, right? Yeah, we've got at least five words that are on the uh, whiteboard for us, and some of them are more Christian-y, and some of them are more Jewish, but they perhaps overlap, and we're just going to debate and discuss the differences or uniquenesses uh, from our traditions as we talk about these words. Uh, Prayer, worship, ritual, tradition, and sacrament. What do those words mean to you and me? What do the people think they mean uh, when we come together around whatever we're doing? Which one or two or three or all five of those words are we doing, uh, and what do they mean? So that's that's what's on tap for us today. Perfect. So um, I think you gave me permission to start, <laughs> right? So prayer. What's prayer to you, Joel Tolbert? It is the... And to Christianity. I mean, I'm interested what you think about it. I'm also interested in like if there is a standard Christian answer, if that's even possible. Yay. Uh, So, yeah, there was a once upon a time where prayer was the mechanical speaking of words to about God. And that could be done communally or privately. Um, My studying and my efforts have kind of changed that. And for me now, prayer is the conversation that is needed to maintain a relationship. So, and that means if I'm going to have a deep, authentic, sincere, healthy relationship with God, I'm going to need to have some space to tell God what I'm thinking and feeling, and I'm going to need to make some space to let God tell me what God might be thinking and feeling. So for me, prayer is honest, vulnerable, authentic, loving conversation. And it can be mad, sad, scared, excited, all the aboves. Sometimes it's private. Sometimes it's public. 
but it's it's conversation and it's uh, for the purpose of growing healthy relationship. I, in other words, it can happen all all the time. But I reserve prayer probably more for those moments when I am being intentional about speaking to with God and listening to for God. How about you? And well, I have a few questions, but um, but, why, but why don't I go and we could ask each other questions for because to me this is one of the I, you know I, this is the most interesting one because because prayer you know I prayed for an A on my test oh thoughts and prayers I'm you're in my prayers I mean we use that word so often and in so many contexts and. And in Judaism, I think like Christianity and like many other religions, there's individual prayer and there's communal prayer. And, you know, so like every Friday we have Shabbat services, which you've been to. And that is a, um, for the most part, that is a very fixed service. It has an order. Anyone that comes to services, whether at my temple or really any temple, will know that, oh, we have the call to worship, followed by the Shema, followed by Michamocha, and prayers are in order. They might be different melodies, and we might sing different verses, but they are, the words are quote-unquote set. And we do make a space for silent prayer. There's a, there's a moment for, I call it silent prayer or reflection. But it is, for the most part, fixed prayer to meet whatever themes our tradition put in place for that holiday or celebration or mourning period or, you know, whatever it is that brings us together in prayer. One of the things that I find interesting about prayer is that prayer for me is not only about talking with God or a relationship with God. It's as much a talking with, when I say talking with other people, I don't mean like whispering during prayer and talking about like, oh, where are we going to eat afterwards? But I, but communing with your people, with your community, um, and with yourself. You know, something I talk about at my congregation a lot is that prayer should help us seek and find and discover the best parts of ourselves. And um, a, a famous uh, rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel, likened prayer almost to uh, like an echo, that you say the prayers that you yourself need to hear. Um, so, and, and I would say that is mostly how I look at it in this you know two-minute summation that we have right now. Yeah, that works, and, and they overlap. Um, now, some of what you mentioned, I would put under the category of worship or tradition or ritual, right? These other words, and and prayer Absolutely. is yeah, prayer is a part of that that space. But that's why I've tried to, as somebody like it, it, it kills me to watch somebody step up and quote pray in worship, right? In the traditional liturgical place where we say a prayer uh, to God on behalf of the people. And their language isn't to God. Their language is to us. They're not they're not talking to God. They they don't even address God. They don't they don't say, hey God, I we got a beef with you today. Or hey God, we want to get an A on our calculus exam this afternoon. Like it's clear that the conversation does not include God. 
<laughs> so in that moment, I don't perceive, even if it's under the auspices of prayerful, it's not prayer to me because we weren't super intentional about including God in that conversation and making sure God is not just like one of the persons in the conversation, but like the center of the mm. conversation and everything else that we are doing is trying to harmonize and sync up with and and understand and sense who God is and what God wants and what God is doing in this space. We are deferring to God in this time. And prayer has, it's a radical honesty and vulnerability of our own, but it's, I perceive it as prayerful when that honesty is so vulnerable and open that it lets itself be changed by whatever God is saying back. And like, imagine if somebody came to prayer and never changed, right? Well, is that prayerful? Just because they went through the, tr- yeah, and I, the tradition I like of that. I really like that modality, the idea that you should be different than when you came in. Yeah, it sees sometimes... If I think about the pieces of worship, they're like date night for me and Jill. Like we have we have habits and traditions of going on date nights. And the reason we do that is to maintain good, healthy relationship. So in a lot of ways, Friday Shabbat services or Sunday worship for us, those are intentional date nights with God so that we can have good, healthy relationships with God and with each other and know myself better through their eyes. But um, I that's why I think these words all bounce off of one another in the same mixing bowl. If you could rank, you know, uh, how important is prayer for you as an individual and how important do you think it is to your tradition? Uh, my tradition will put language where prayer is like, it's the starting point of everything. It's the ending point of everything. Um, you never start a meeting without prayer. If you talk about the key components or, or bits and pieces that you assemble into a worship service, prayer was going to be one of the first ones you mentioned. And probably it, it would be before you mentioned song. It might be at the same level of scripture. Like, and, and the, even the way we talk about scripture is you can't read scripture if you're not prayerfully listening for God's voice through the words of Scripture. Scripture without prayer is dangerous. Scripture with prayer it can be holy. So prayer's way up there, but that is our theological language about it. It's not really our practice. Our practice is a little stiff and stodgy and uh, scripted, and it doesn't feel warm and personal like I feel like it should. And And so I beg people to pray from the heart. I try really hard not to shove prayer language into their mouth and make them say it back. But sometimes in liturgy we do that. In church liturgy, we have yeah. a Yeah, and we we force them to say words and they say them back and they don't really mean it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that kind of you know, something I struggle with, especially with the, I don't want to say rigidity, but with the fixed nature of prayer is, you know, there's something comforting about that, that, you know, you kind of know what you're saying and, and almost um, like meditative, meditative, that you do it so often that you, 
I mean, if you just do it once, then it's a novelty. It's the regular habitual practice of it that kind of makes it sink in, just like a habit. Like, um, but at the same time, it, it can become rote. And um, I remember at camp one year, we sing this song, Micha Mocha, um, which, which is a traditional prayer. This wasn't like invented by Reformed Jews recently. And it actually, the words of the prayer are actually in the Torah, which is rare. Most, most Jewish prayers are not in the Torah. And it's the song of the sea. It's what the Jews sang as the Red Sea was split and the, and the, uh, Israelites escaped from Egypt. Um, and, you know, at camp, I remember singing, it was like, and the person was like, no, like you are supposed to be jubilant right now. And I think of that sometimes when I'm at Friday night with like, a, can I, you know, can you imagine if I stopped services? I was like, no, you guys are doing it wrong. You have to be jubilant. But there is, there's something there that's, that's important and, and worth thinking about it and worth thinking about rather. Yeah, I imagine if you know your your beloved spouse said "love you," you know, <laughs> you would go what? Um, but if like, honey, love you bunches today, all right? You feel it. That's right. That's you you right. sense the difference, and and it's really hard as a worship leader um, to to guide my people into a corporate prayer and to get the emotion back from them of. Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know, the Charlie Brown teacher voice. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. You know, yeah. You know, like, no, y'all gotta <laughs> like think of these words as you say them and let them hit you in the heart and then say them out loud with that kind of vulnerability and and hope. Yes. All right. What's next? So how how is prayer different than worship or tradition? Like. What, where do you, how does it bump into those two words and how do you differentiate it from those two? I mean, for me, worship is very specifically a communal experience. Um, that doesn't mean that that's the right answer. That's just what it is for me. Like we are coming to temple tonight to worship. Uh, prayer is... Before bedtime, you say the Shema. It can be worship. It can be you go to the hospital and hold someone's hand. When I when I go to the whole hospital and visit someone who's sick, I don't worship with them. I pray with them. Now, again, that's my own anecdotal, well, it's not anecdotal, idiosyncratic way of defining the terms. But but for me, there, there is that distinction. That worship implies a community and kind of that fixed prayer modality. Yeah, I don't think I've said it like that, but I think I'm with you on that. Like, I don't, I never think of private time as worship. I think of it as prayer. So that works. Now, corporate time is, can be worship or can just be prayer. So I, I, I think I'm with you on that. And worship has a. Wait, what time? Um, like corporate worship time could be. Oh, got it. All right. You are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got yeah, you. when we're worshiping together at a worship service on a Sunday morning, there can be parts of that that are prayerful, but it that is worship because we are doing it together. That that works for me. I like that. Well, what what is what are the traditions of worship that aren't prayer? I don't know that there are any. 
I mean, because worship to me implies like, you know, we're the people of the book. So it implies, like, you know, opening a book and saying and or singing. And most of the time it is singing or chanting um, some sort of of prayer that that we have from our tradition. So all the songs that are included in worship are also prayers. All the liturgy is also prayer. Yes. I, now, I, not you know, not trying to split hairs. I wouldn't say that all the songs we actually sing are prayers, because every now and again, you know, I'll take a guitar out and I'll say, okay, our opening song is you know, bim bam, Shabbat Shalom, and that's really just okay. We're starting services. Let's get in the mindset. Get your seats if you haven't already. You know, it's like the bell before a show. It's just easier to start singing than, okay, everyone, you need to sit down and be quiet now. But that's where yeah. tradition falls in. Like we have these, these traditions in a worship service that are not prayers per se, but they do hold us together. And they, they kind of mark where we are, where we're going. They kind of cue us to what to do what to prepare for. They they kind of invite our hearts to be open a certain way or our minds to be open a certain way. And I'm I'm noticing that worshiping communities, faith communities, have to have traditions that the community agrees on over time so that they can get quickly to the spaces that worshipfulness and prayerfulness need us to go to. That's that's a journey. And without the traditions, the journey takes too long to get from point A to point B. But with traditions, we quickly walk through all the bits and pieces and parts so it feels like we have the full experience. Absolutely. And, and this is where I think Reformed Judaism um, distinguishes itself to a degree because what what makes us Reformed Jews is reforming traditions. I mean, that's where we get our name from. And and so there's always there's always a tension and a back and forth, and it's not a change for change's sake at at all. Um, but you know, the, 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 there's this great line, you know, one generation's. I'm going to change it because it'll take too long to explain the Hebrew. But you know, one generation's kind of rigidity and roteness and boredom was a previous generation's. Um, new tradition that sparked inspiration and prayerfulness and spirituality. And, and that, that's something that we constantly grapple with, uh, mm -hmm. in, in, certainly in Judaism, but in, in, I think in healthy congregations. I mean, like, that's like an important thing to grapple with. So is there a difference between tradition and ritual then? Not to a, for me, not to a large degree. I mean, other than if you're, if you're making up a ritual on the spot, that's not a tradition, but you know, Judaism being a 4,000 year old religion, so much, I would say of the power of our rituals are in the fact that generations and generations have done them. Uh, one very small example that you're aware of, you know, the priestly benediction, you know, may God bless you and keep you, may God be gracious unto you. You know, those Hebrew words are thousands of years old. Now, it is on its own a beautiful 
and short poem, which, you know, the shortness is important because it makes it easy to say. And most people know, most rabbis know it memorized and there's a, there's various chants for it. Um, but when I say it to a bar bar mitzvah kid or to a couple getting married, I always add the oldest blessing in our tradition. And that means something that has a, that has a power. It's not just in the words themselves. It's that the words are thousands of years old and people have been using that formula for thousands of years. Yeah, I like that. The Like a tradition can be local or communal. Ritual takes it up a notch for me and it, it extends. It goes bigger. It goes beyond the the local and it goes beyond the temporal. It Something about ritual connects it beyond i think and I, I so there are odd little rituals that that we go through um and some of them it, that's why i put the word sacrament on here cuz i feel like there there could be habits that become traditions and traditions can even become rituals and then rituals can become what we call sacraments and that that uh hierarchy in how we do worship or slash prayer, uh, those those gaps and those steps are. It's weird to see how different people respond to them because some people treat certain traditions as rituals, and other people will quickly discard a ritual as just an old habit that we're, it's time to break. And and the different human expectation of the pieces and parts of worship slash prayer make make my job kind of hard because I never know if I bend one, if I change one, if I add one, if I drop one, who I'm going to piss off. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Or who you, you know, will not, will piss off if you keep it completely the same. So do y'all have the word sacrament in your space or a, 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 com, a word that's similar at least? We don't. We don't is the short answer. Although there are things, you know, there are ritual objects that I think achieve a similar purpose. So for example, you know, and, and mornings um, and according to Jewish law, Jewish men, but now, you know, anyone wears a, a, what's called a talis or talit in Hebrew, which is kind of the fringed garment. And that's meant to remind us of all of the commandments and also kind of God's love enveloping us, just like the, the talis itself wraps around and envelops us. But it's not this, I don't think it's as powerful as sacrament. It, it, tell Tell me what sacrament, like what the official definition is sure uh, in some christian traditions there are as i think as many as seven and in, in uh, my christian tradition and others there's only two um but these are so, sometimes the way christians say them is these are the directly commanded actions of jesus what what he did and said and told us to do like him so and people disagree on how how direct his command was to do it. So that's why there's two to seven. For us, it's only two, baptism and communions, or sometimes called the Lord's Supper, or sometimes called the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. Um, And it's where we break bread and raise a cup, much like 
the Jewish tradition started start Sabbath with breaking a bread, a loaf of bread, and raising a cup. Um, so we have those those two little moments in there, uh, those two sacraments, and those are presided over only by pastors and priests. They um, have certain rules for who can and cannot participate, that kind of thing. So the um, some people include weddings in that. Some people uh, in- include you know marriage. Um, I- and I wondered if in the Jewish tradition, if circumcision or um, a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah or a wedding or if there were anything like that that were considered um, what we would might call sacramental privileges and practices of the clergy. And so I think that's the differentiator is the piece about the clergy. And we spoke a little bit about this last week in that, again, even though what we talked about lay leaders now doing weddings, you know, kind of getting ordained online and things. And yes, I, I, I can't think of a funeral that I that I've even been to where it wasn't a clergy officiating, but you know someone's friend or something. But that being said, in Judaism, one could officiate a funeral and not quote unquote be a rabbi, um, and so it doesn't have that same. Um, I don't know if hierarchy is the right word, but we, but it, it it it's not it's not it's not a one to one, and I think that's okay, right? Like that's that like that is a real difference. Uh, and an interesting difference, I think, between what are the seven? By the way, I know I know Eucharist is one. <laughs> um, so uh, confession is one ah, uh, as well. Um, the last rites or anointing of the sick is one. Um, and marriage and baptism and communion. There's one called unction, um, which I can't even remember what that is now. Um, and then a seventh, I'm, I'm losing it. I could Google this, but <laughs> I'm not. So I'm not, not even it up. I'm going to get you off topic, but literally 30 seconds. So does that mean that someone who doesn't get married is, quote, is like less holy or less close to God because they're not doing a sacrament? No, I wouldn't say that they are. Um, because if you think about it in the Catholic Church, right, um, celibacy is a mark of holiness. Uh, it, uh, right, so it's the opposite. But what they are saying is, okay, if if you're going to do these holy rituals, you have to do them the right way, and and we take them ca- seriously. We practice them carefully, and you've got to have a pro with you in order to do it, um, so that you can't practice them poorly. Um, so there you go. That's. But that's how I think of sacraments, and I think if if I if I look at how you have practiced ministry beside me, you know, when we were serving in the same town, I the ones that came to mind might be you know presiding at a circumcision uh, ceremony, the bar and bat mitzvah, a wedding, and a funeral. I I couldn't think of any others that felt like that to me for y'all. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, no, there, there's a correlation there for sure. Which one do you get in the most trouble for breaking? If you change a prayer, do you get in trouble? If you change a, a ritual, do you get in trouble? If you change a tradition, do you get in trouble? Which? <laughs> so I'm having a memory of, so there, there's a prayer, that we call it the watchword of our faith, Shema. Also in the Torah, uh, early in Deuteronomy, uh, Hear, O Israel, Adonai is our God, Adonai is one. And it's funny because traditionally, uh, 
one sits when they when they recite that prayer. Reform Judaism, um, and I, I don't want to get into a history lesson and bore everybody, uh, but reform in Reform Judaism, it's been the quote unquote tradition to stand for that prayer. And I remember in Omaha, I think I, I was doing a, a creative service where someone had a reading just before Shema, like a long reading. So I had people sit so that they could hear the reading and focus on the on this person reading rather than like, oh, I've been standing so long. And then they stayed sitting through the Shema. And this guy came up to me after services and not, you know, not a regular service goer, not someone that knows Jewish law or, you know, really, you know, like, again, not someone that comes to services every Friday and, and is like deep, deep in it. And he was mortified that people sat down. It was almost like the service didn't, you know, was wrong and didn't count. And, you know, everyone has their own, you know, little buttons and uh, proclivities about what they like and what they don't like. And and as, as you know, uh, mo- people have various degrees of knowledge, too. But n- the amount of knowledge does not always equate to the amount of feeling, <laughs> And uh, it's hard to argue with feeling. Um, you know, I would say in, in in Reform Judaism and in my congregation, you know, it, we're celebrating our 150th year in Athens this year. And um, there is very much a um, an honoring of tradition in, in my congregation. But I think when it's done right, when, when a change is explained, when the reasoning is explained, people are open to it. And there's always going to be some people that don't like it. Um, but, and, and sometimes you change something back. You see if something works. It, it, one, something that I, I always say is not every change has to be permanent. <laughs> Even if it's a good change, it doesn't have to be permanent. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the motto of our denomination is uh, reformata semper reformanda. So reformed and always being reformed. Uh, so it, it comes into there like we are changed. Whatever the traditions and rituals were, we're changing them for good reason. But we're also confessing that they are going to constantly be changed again and again and again as needed to make a difference. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. <laughs> For me, it's the it's um it's probably the traditions that get me in the most trouble, not the rituals or the sacraments. Although, if I take a sacrament a little casually, I can get in some trouble with some people. Um, <laughs> this one, you know, this one guy, he just walked forward and I handed him a piece of the bread. I broke it from the loaf. I handed it to him, and the idea is you just touch it to the juice in the cup and then eat. Well, I, as I handed it to him, he dropped it. Boom. And it hits the ground. And he looked at me mortified. Like his eyeballs were just, oh, I'm sorry. You know, and I'm like, ah, stop it. You know, I bent down, I picked it up, put it in my pocket. I tore him a fresh piece. And and he, he, he like froze. He didn't know what to do. And I'm like, just touch it to the cop. It's okay. And he just, but there's a piece of bread in your pocket, like that I dropped on the floor. You know, it's not a big deal, man. It, it just, yeah. it's okay. But now, in some spaces, it would be a big deal. In our space, that's that part of the ritual slash sacrament. The bread is just the sign. Well, and, and to symbol. some degree, that probably—I mean, that that has something to say about you too, right? Just like each clergy has their own like picadillos and things that 
you know, we're very fastidious about versus things. Ah, no big deal. You know? <laughs> right. Like for some, so one example of that is the, the physicality of the Torah. I mean, you probably know this, but you know, you're not supposed to touch the ink of the Torah because it's supposed to be permanent. And, and if some, and speaking of like the comparison to sacrament, if, if a Torah is dropped, God forbid, um, there's this, idea that you're supposed to fast for 40 days. And what a lot of places do um, is they get you get 40 people each to fast one day, but that showing the idea of the importance of Torah and the primacy, primacy of Torah. Um, there was somewhere I was going to go with that, and I lost the rail. Well, let me grab it then, because that appears sacramental to me, where y'all open the doors and the scrolls are processed in and raised that that has a very sacramental quality to me when i watch y'all embody that with each other and i watch your 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 individuals you've kind of coached them how to do it well how to do it right and you're obviously presiding you don't necessarily have to do it but i i wonder if that feels to you like a sacramental moment the the entry of the scrolls and the and the Torah and the opening of yeah them. in in that sense sure and it's and it's certainly a um, I mean I would say it's a holy moment um, and it's also a climactic moment I mean the service kind of leads up to that in, in a lot of ways yeah it feels that feels sacramental to to me the way y'all um, embody the treatment of the text. Now, for me, I can read the text off an iPad or something printed from the copier, right? It's okay. But um, we don't even have a pulpit Bible anymore because it's it's okay. I I don't need it. It's the word is the word. It's alive. It's not just ink on paper. It's alive. By the way, that's something something that people think is, sin is the wrong word, but, you know, like during the high holidays, between all the cues and the choir and the cantorial soloist, everything of mine is on an iPad. And there are a few people that think that that's not dignified. It needs to be in the in in the book. <laughs> you, you mean the scroll? <laughs> well, that's what's funny. No, I mean the published book, but, you know, it, it's... I mean, to a certain extent, that's a generational thing too. But, but again, you know, all of these things are so personal to uh, that that it makes it um, makes it difficult to really kind of nail down a, a definition for. And it's it's really hard to teach a person like, hey, the thing you're going to battle with right now, uh, or for, it's it's really not a thing. <laughs> you're you're complaining. <laughs> That I'm not reading the scripture from a book yeah. that was printed uh. in Idaho about seven years ago, right? When the only way I could really do it wholly would be to go get one of the very first scrolls before it was copied X thousand years ago, if I followed your logic all the way back. But what the world has been doing is we gather copies of the word and we have a tradition of honoring it beautifully, but not because of the book that it's in, but because of what it said and why it was said. So you're kind of destroying the real tradition of honoring the beauty and the love behind the words themselves and putting it into a piece of paper. Stop it, <laughs> right? I don't know how to teach people not to not to ruin the real tradition 
the real sacrament of word when they uh, protect the tradition of reading it out of a leather-bound book. Uh, is that all five? Yeah, that's all right. Worship, sacrament, ritual, tradition, and prayer. And I still feel like for you, prayer's the top top dog, and everything else is under it. Well, it you know what that reminds you saying that reminds me of is um, when I first started here. I remember a congregant, like I don't know, I don't even remember the context of the conversation, but a congregant was saying how Shabbat is the most important thing that I do every week. And my first instinct was to disagree with that. And actually, my my instinct is still to disagree with that. But it is the time that I see the most people in one moment, you know, in what gathered. Other than, you know, a special assembly or, a, a, a you know, a funeral or a wedding, something like that. But in terms of something that is a regularly scheduled event... Friday nights is when I see the most number of people. So I understand the sentiment, like, because that's when I catch up with people. I find out how people are doing and how this one's healing or how that one's birthday went. Um, but from a, but from a theological Jewish kind of Jewish perspective, is it the most important thing I do? I, I don't know. Um, hmm. I, if I had a, a congregation of people, who said communal worship is the most important thing I do. That'd be great because uh, I can imagine a, a group of, say, 200 people who never came together as one community and double-checked on things with each other and held each other accountable. That community could create chaos. It, you know, if even if they were super prayerful and studious and religious individually, but they never came together as one community for accountability and and synchronicity, boy, that would be a really hard bunch of cats to herd. Uh, but if mm. if they do come together for religious practices and shared learnings and you know common traditions and use those to hold each other accountable, and then go practice very little or not at all personally, I we could do community that way. Um, and I, I don't know if that's fair. So I most important, okay, I, I see your issue with saying that. But if I was to give veto power, I'd give 51% vote to the communal over the personal. Oh, yeah, I agree with that for sure, for sure. Yeah, if you're going to cut one, cut the personal, not the communal. <laughs> right. Keeping it real, as always. We're trying. Oh, goodness. So what's next week? I, I think uh, we get to talk money, mammon, tithe and offering, sadaka, if we wish. So... Yikes. I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> that's Money. a good one. We really got to do that? Can't we just skip that one? <laughs> Did we do that three years ago? Or am I making that up? 
We didn't go hard on it, but we've we've talked around it, obviously, right? We're going to keep talking around and around and around the same topics, buddy. We're professional clergy. It's all the same circle of topics over. Oh, and over it's one. Again. It's one sermon. It's one sermon <laughs> delivered. You know, fifty-two weeks a year. Yeah, the yeah. lifetime is the sermon. That's it. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, all right, my friend. Great talking with you and learning learning with and from you. And uh, we'll look forward to next week. Thanks, buddy. Fantastic. And uh, keep it real, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today. And invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.